This is Tech Transforms. I'm Carolyn Ford. Each week, Mark Sinell and I talk with top influencers to explore how the U.S. government is harnessing the power of technology to solve complex challenges and improve our lives. Hi, thanks for joining us on Tech Transforms podcast, sponsored by Dynatrace. I'm Carolyn Ford, and this week we are going full girl power. So Mark got uninvited. (laughs) So today we have a women in technology panel featuring a couple of guests who have previously been on our show. Chris Sailing, Deputy Director of Army People Analytics, and Captain Jasmine Furtado, a data strategy lead at the U.S. Space Force and Space Force Liaison at the MIT AI Accelerator. Welcome back, Jasmine and Chris, to Tech Transforms to talk about your journeys in government technology. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks for having us back. This is awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to both of you again, but before we get into that, let me do a little housekeeping. So I just want to remind our listeners that the views of both Chris and Jasmine are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of their agencies. And I'm just going to say that for myself too, because like I warned these two before we started, I'm like, I got some stuff I need to get out. And uh, I want to be able to talk freely today. So, all right, let's start um, talking about challenges that both of you have faced being a woman in the government technology space. And actually, the fact that we even have to say being a woman in the government technology space, other than we're in the technology space and we kick ass. Like, I hate that we have to do that, but I still feel like we do. So, man, I'm already getting up on my soapbox. <laughs> okay. But um, let's start with you, Chris. Uh, some, some of, the, some of the, the challenges that you faced. So it's one of those where I don't want to say there aren't any challenges, but it's like I, I've encountered so many of these challenges throughout my career. I just, uh, I just hit... Um, 20 years last summer, we hit 21 years this coming summer. Oh my goodness. It's almost, uh, yeah, it's almost the summer again. In the uh, army, 20 years army. army. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been <laughs> a long time of kind of sitting there, you know, just kind of with the typical, the, um, the anxieties, the imposter anxiety, the how, you know, what is my balance between being assertive and how do I not come off as, you know, insert your um, kind of the common anxieties. It really hasn't been, um, it hasn't been all that different. I've been trying to figure out the right balance of how to present different things, how to present facts so that they are listened to, how to present data to an audience where not only do we have kind of the schism between, you know, having an audience that's operational and I'm on the technical side, but it, sometimes it's very obvious that I know more about, <laughs> quite a bit more about the subject than the people I'm talking to. And, um, I think one of the biggest challenges, I've said this in a number of different conversations, is that I really didn't get to know myself and how I wanted to present these things because I was very much um, fixed on how to present that particular image until I really got into data education and started teaching people. Mm. That really helped me kind of find a balance in how 
I wanted to talk about very technical subjects, both with the technical and a lay audience. So I won't say it's overcome all the challenges. You still go out a lot of times, still, you know, <laughs> women sitting in the room. I, I do have a little bit of a, a reputation now that I can trade on. So I come into the room with a certain amount of, you know, a certain amount of that reputation. But um, I, I'm, I've seen a lot of cases where that hasn't been the case, where people have come in and haven't quite known how to throw elbows and hold their ground in, in areas where they're competent and how we make the opportunities for them to do that because that's where other opportunities come from. Mm-hmm. Jasmine, have you felt that? Yeah, so a lot of the same things and I'm very aware of how I may be coming across and depending on the level I'm speaking at, I have to maybe change the way I present something because I'm having to always pick apart and analyze what makes that person tick. Not saying that's not that's maybe something specific to women. I feel like maybe everyone has to do that to some extent. But of course, I only know from my perspective how much effort of how much of my time goes into not just the content, but just my body language, my tone, the inflection of my voice, the pacing of my words, because a lot is taken away already from visuals and the unspoken. So there's already a front that I put on and I present to people when I walk into a room and there's already preconceived notions of who I am and what I can do. And so having to overcome those is maybe an extra thing that others may not need to. But I thought about this a lot and I, I try to think about other per, the other's perspective. And I've come to realize that a, a lot of times, most of the times, there's no, there's not necessarily an, um, any ill intent behind how people perceive uh, others. I mean, there's a lot of this is not, they're not even conscious of their own biases. And uh, I think it's beneficial for all of us to check ourselves and check our, our the comments that we make in the workplace because things that may be seen as teasing or not, you know, something that's like lighthearted may actually be uh, eating away at the mutual respect that you have for another person. Uh, they may eat into the other person's credibility as a professional, as a leader. So please be cognizant of these comments because these small things start, especially in a public forum, they start eating away at that. And it's not appropriate in the workplace to be, making these side comments and thinking that there's no consequence. So just, just as a, as a, uh, just a, out, a input, I guess, for everyone out there is when you're speaking, just be aware of your, your slang or the, the your, um, or our colloquial and be aware of the unintended consequences of some of the things that are being said. Have either of you found yourself I'm just going to say, I'm going to admit this right up front. Like I have found myself through my career because I've been in technology for 20 years now, often the only woman in the room. I've felt like a little bit of an imposter. I started out in product management, definitely felt, felt like an imposter there because I was interpreting what developers were saying, trying to understand what users needed. Um, and I was always the only woman in a, a sea of men. And then when I moved to marketing, I suffered another kind of imposter syndrome where I thought, 
I'm not really in the tech field, but I am like, I need to be able to tell the story. And I'm, this is taking a really long time to get to my point of throughout my career. As I look back, I've noticed that I have done things and portrayed myself in a way and used language that I thought would make me fit in more drink too much, swear like a sailor. But I have to say, I love swearing. So I've just embraced that as part of what I really like and no longer consider that me attempting to fit in with the boys because I just like to swear. Um, But other things, just like even what you were just saying, Jasmine, about being cognizant of slurs. I grew up with a Cold War army dad. Believe me, I have some slurs. And I didn't even realize how offensive they were until pretty recently. Some of the stuff that has come out of my mouth, I'm like, oh, I can't believe I said that. And towards women, I I used to say fight like a girl all the time as an insult, not as um, props. So have either of you noticed that? So I think there's there's a lot of that that's kind of part and parcel. And I, I've enjoyed my later years of being a little more senior ranking and a little more salty overall of <laughs> being able to call that out and to stop people when they are, um, when they're making statements or even making assumptions about anything having to do with women, like certain programs should be marketed this way towards women. And that's usually when I start throwing things at them, you know, figuratively because we're virtual. Um, but try to at least get their attention and say, Hey guys, you, you just, othered an entire, like 50% of the population. Mm. And granted, it's 17% 17 of the active army population, but that's still, it's a large percentage of people that you just said, all these people think the same way. One of the principles that we've been working on in talent management is getting away from the one-size-fits-all method of work and method of leadership. And that has really lent itself to, um, to fostering a lot of these discussions about, you know, how we work with you know, in the army, at least it's 1.4 million people when you consider all three components and our civilians and they're all different and everybody's different. Oh, so um, take it from a human approach. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> shocking, isn't it? <laughs> as, as opposed to kind of the industrial model that we employed over the past, you know, what, 50 years where everybody's interchangeable and we don't see you as a human. We see you as some kind of a cog categorized by your grade and your career field. Mm. Instead, let's look at you as a person. Let's do some, you know, shocking again, human centric design. Mm -hmm. And let's start seeing people as people for capabilities rather than what we kind of assume comes with. And based on people's personal biases, they make a lot of assumptions that people come with a lot of baggage. So I think we're, we're making some progress towards, um, again, when I say we're making some progress, it's like we're starting here. We know it still goes on heavily throughout the organization, but we are, you know, <laughs> we're kind of getting our, our foot in the door there. Mm, so you're not going to admit to anything that you've done in the past. <laughs> oh, you mean as far as uh, things I've said or things I've done? Just I spent like 12 personally. years as a combat engineer. Yeah. Okay. There <laughs> so you go. That was you the first admitted. 12 years in my army, you know, work hard, play hard, swear hard, still swear hard. Did you go? Sometimes that I'm in an office building. <laughs> did you go into combat, combat to prove something? I think all of us, um, at least all the women that I went through, um, I, I graduated from West Point in 2001 
and all the women that I trained with there, all the women I met in my officer basic course, our first unit, we always were under pressure to prove, Mm -hmm. to prove that we belonged. Mm -hmm. You know, it was always kind of the, oh, we're going to prove we can do this and we can do that thing. But it was always kind of earning your place and proving you belonged, which was a heck of a lot of pressure. Yeah. The first has to be better, stronger. The first always has to. So what about you, Jasmine? Are you going to admit anything? <laughs> uh, there are, well, I can't actually think of any examples, but I know it has happened to me. And it, it, it's not just something that, oh, if you, you, I don't think anyone ever perfects the self, uh, the self-policing of being yeah. able to check yourself before you make statements. But the, as long as the intent is there and the, the, the effort is being, at least in some regard, kind of measured and the progress is being seen and being able to proactively catch things before you say something or recognize that a topic may not be uh, uh, the best one. Maybe there's another topic to bring up. Um, mm-hmm. It's great. I, I think in my previous job, I didn't really appreciate the role that a person that's put in a leadership position or authority has over that sort of culture. It's really, it's it's the little things that a leader does, the topics they bring up, the things that they've decided mm-hmm. to talk about just in a forum. Like what topic, are you just going to talk about one topic all the time? Maybe sports, the stereotypical one. Um, how, like, know, who, are, who are you leading? Um, get to know them. What are the things that they're interested in? And then as a leader, Make sure that you're you can represent your team in their interests and talk to them and connect with them in a way that is more uh, comfortable for them. So th- when I was at Kessel Run, I actually saw that quite a bit. And I, there's a lot of these uh, these cultures that are pushing for psychological safety and all, and the training that comes with it. And seeing it more in the workplace, making me more aware, it makes me take a look like, oh, what are things that I said before? And I, I'm still I'm still trying to think of an example, but I can't come, it does, nothing comes to mind right now. But uh, yeah, it's, I think those sorts of trainings have been really great because the people in specific roles have a big part to play in that. Amen. Jasmine, if I can kind of jump on one of the things you said about, you know, talking about the same topics all the time and here's how people connect. We've, we've talked about that a lot in um, kind of the return to the office, you know, kind of the people who are pressing for it and the people who aren't. And a lot of the people who are pressing for it, we're kind of finding some commonalities in the ways that they want to connect. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the workforce that they have who doesn't want to come back hasn't connected with what they feel like that office culture is. So I think kind of when you start talking about providing an environment of psychological safety and providing kind of a, an office identity that people can connect to, you know, how do we kind of connect ourselves with that culture? We really have to think about that if we want um, if we want people to maintain that connection both remotely and when they come back to the office or if they come back to the office. I'm a big proponent of remote work. So <laughs> I just have to throw that in there. Yes, and it definitely has to, it has to be very proactive. It's it's a lot of work to do that, and it and it takes people out of their comfort zones to to push for certain topics, push for events, push for the, these kinds of forums to happen. It doesn't just happen by itself. You can't just will it. So, yeah, it's it's really great to hear. So I'm going to put us all on the spot a little bit to foster this change. Because the truth is, at a macro level, we are still grossly in the minority. 
So what have we done personally to help foster this change? Maybe an easier question is, what have you seen leaders do to help foster this change or have like, have they, I mean, are we still missing this? So have you, Chris, what are you, I know you, you like, this is a focus for you because it's your job. Um, wh- what do you recommend? What What's happening? Are we talking about just kind of making more opportunities, more mentorship? Um, well, yeah, guess all, all. <laughs> all of it. Like, is, is that where we start just making more opportunities and how do we do that? Like, I think what we're doing right now is an important thing because we're just, ta- we're talking about it. Mm-hmm. I think we're talking about it and we have, you know, we have three women in this conversation who have been eminently successful in their own domains. And we've all been in domains where there's not a whole heck of a lot of us. And we've had, um, we've had mentors who are male who have come in, who have seen something in us, who've seen those qualities and have provided advice, who have provided guidance. And every time, at least lately, since I've been more aware of it, I've had a mentor kind of provide that guidance. I've kind of encouraged them to think about, you know, why, why are you providing me that guidance? Is it because of this particular thing, that particular thing? You know, let's, let's, let's reach out and look at all the people that you have in your kind of your mentorship circle and figure out you know, who's not there. You know, what other kind of opportunities? Who else? And I asked myself, or I've, I've started learning to ask myself, I need to be better about it. It's like, who else can I pull into that circle? So are you yeah. mentoring? Then do you mm-hmm. even officially, unofficially, you find people to mentor as well? I do. I've, I've had a lot of people talk to me about, um, cause I, I work in a very interesting niche. Um, there are a lot of people who try to figure out what exactly my job categories are because we're doing all the things, people analytics, we're doing talent management for the army's data workforce. We're doing data education and, mm, there's been a lot of focus on just kind of like who's going to kind of take over the programs, who's coming up, who's going to be able to do, because they know at some point or another, I'm going to retire and I'm going to go do something else. And I'm going to start, <laughs> go start other projects. I'm going to try to carry on the somewhat entrepreneurial um, <laughs> frame that I've looked at things in the army with some other venture. So I kind of look around like, okay, who's, who's coming up? Who's got a, who's got an interest in some of the same projects I'm working on? Who? really kind of wants to foster change. And so how can I bring them in and get them some of those connections and get them some of the experiences working with the different types of projects and project leads and leaders. And as I'm doing that, I really kind of want to make sure that I'm bringing all of those perspectives in, that I'm bringing in, not just, you know, kind of more of the same because we want new perspectives. We, yeah. we as an organization have said very emphatically that we want change and now we just need to prove it by bringing in people who can make change and yeah. who see things differently. Well, and I love that you have a mentor and that you are mentoring. Jasmine, have you had mentors, male or female? And do you participate in some sort of official or unofficial mentoring? So I have had quite a few great mentors. Um, I've had a couple pretty bad <laughs> uh, supervisors, <laughs> people in the leadership roles. Uh, and I think what has distinguished them is that good mentor, the people that I really look up to listen and they figure out what motivates me. Um, they really try to find that. What am I really looking for out of my career? And they don't look at what can I provide to their organization right now? And that makes all the difference when mm. you're not seen as just someone that outputs 
it, mm-hmm. it delivers products. I think the people that have been great mentors look at the potential that I can provide in the long term and that being able to give me those opportunities that feed my own personal professional growth does both things. It both helps myself and it helps the organization because I'm being put in the best capacity uh, and being put to best use in the organization. So like I said, I've had the opposite (laughs) as well, where folks are just, uh, how how do I say this? I am, I am in this organization for two years. I, uh, as much time they can put to me doing that one and one job only. My scope is this big. There's no way to, for me to say anything else around it because that role is really important to the organization and they need me to do X, Y, Z. And those are positions that I do not thrive in, but from a mentorship or from a supervisory standpoint, if you don't get to know your people, then you're going to, you're going to realize that, the limitations that you put on yourself and your organization as a result. So, yes. In terms of me mentoring other people, I have found LinkedIn to be a great, it's not a plug, but it is the only way actually that I am. Um, I agree. I get to talk to people outside of my realm here. Um, There are some events that I'll speak at, be it like recruiting events or hackathons, you know, those, those forums are really great as well. Um, But being able to reach out and touch, communicate with the uh, community beyond my scope, beyond my physical bounds, uh, and be able to reach, talk to someone who's in Texas or talk to someone who's in the East Coast about uh, tech. They realize, oh, there are some things that you've done that I think is really interesting, and giving them advice and things that they're worried about or concerned about and dispelling the rumor mill, especially when it comes to the military. Don't even get me started on the rumor mill <laughs> military. Uh, bad stuff. I, it's, it's, it's really great that we have technology to be able to reach out and widen our birth. I love that. So speaking of LinkedIn, um, just in the last few months, I started a group and it's called Federal Marketing Masterminds. So really inviting people, especially in the federal space, especially in the marketing space. And I was like, nobody's going to want to do this. You guys, it's been so, if nothing else, just cathartic for me, but we've helped each other. And Madeline Albright, uh, may she rest in peace and one of the great firsts of our time. She said, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. (laughs) Being part of this group, which I've started in LinkedIn, but we meet on a monthly basis and we just talk about our problems and we'll email each other back and forth and share information. Like you're saying, Jasmine, I'm like, oh, we could, I could have been doing this for 20 years and it's just been so empowering. And my mentors have primarily been men, shocker. And starting early on in my career, men that have give like put faith in me. And I would always think, are, do you, are you sure? Like, coming back to that imposter syndrome. And I've had one woman in particular that I remember. Well, I'm still very close friends with her. And she, she taught me a lot and gave me a lot, but the men that are our allies are incredibly powerful. have been incredibly powerful in my life. And um, one of them at my last company, when I was just down, I mean, I was gone, like my mojo was gone 
And he helped me get it back. Like he gave me these projects that I'm like, this is a lot, but for whatever, somehow he saw that I'd just been kicked a lot and he, he brought it back. Um, I just recently had somebody tell me she got a big promotion and she called me and she said, you're the first person I wanted to call because you're my mentor. And that floored me. I had no idea she thought of me that way. She'd called me for advice. You know, in the past we, we had talked and I, but I had no idea that was really shocking to me. And I was like, Oh, that's really powerful. Right. And I need to remember, like we influence people to your point, Jasmine, thinking about what we say and how we carry ourselves. And I love our listeners can't see you guys on camera right now, but if they go to our LinkedIn post, they'll be able to see both of you. So Chris, I love that you're in uniform. Jasmine, I love that you are full girled up right now. I mean, and I know both of you, you know, Chris, you full girl up too. We've got, you know, our past episodes and Jasmine, I know you can rock a uniform and I, I love that we can do this. Um, and that we can be women, we can have this soft woman side and we are competent in our jobs. All right, let's get to some more of the, I think we've kind of started going here, some of the positive aspects of being a woman in government technology specifically. So Jasmine, let's start with you. What are some positive things or even, I mean, benefits, like things that you get maybe (laughs) that your male counterparts don't? I don't know. Do we want to talk about that? (laughs) I mean, it's real, right? So well, I will say that, especially recently, there has been a concerted effort to highlight the accomplishments of women in the workplace, minorities in the workplace. It's been great to see that called out explicitly. And we just had a month where it was, um, you know, we were celebrating women and we were uh, highlighting on a regular basis women in history. We we're having events. Um, that around education. And I think those are really great moments to not just for myself, but also for the organization to be able to see how far we've come mm-hmm. to see the, the roles that we can, that we're now filling in, in our units. So from that point of view, it's, it's really great to have that, that recognition and get that call out. I mean, I haven't done, I mean, I, you know, I, I wasn't born, 70, 80 years ago, <laughs> um, I, I wasn't, I, I, I am definitely benef- benefiting from those before me. Uh, but yeah, from the workplace perspective, I am very grateful. I, and I, I don't think this happens in a lot of other organizations where we celebrate as much as we do, at least that's not what, in my experience, as much as we have in the government space, we have very explicit uh, committees, people, groups that organize events around months. And that's, I think, Mm. really great from a cultural point of view. I've also uh, heard of or been a part of uh, 
groups that are not government and I've interacted and they don't put as much of an emphasis on these things that make up our history and allow for folks to reach out and bridge that gap of understanding and, and connect on different levels with other folks. So that's one great thing I've seen outside of the whole mentorship aspect of you know, being able to connect to and relate to women in the military and the government. I think we've gone through some really unique experiences that very few other women have gone through. And that camaraderie and that connection is very special. And I think it's no matter who I meet, no matter what branch, uh, I, if, if they're a woman in the military, I already know we have shared experiences. <laughs> we know um, the trials and tribulations that come with being in the military and uh, it's a very distinct male-dominated field. So um, I have such respect for women in the armed services and armed forces. Uh, we are continuing to make, you know, we're continuing to charge and lead the way on a lot of fronts. We still have a way to go. And I think we can say that about any industry, but I'm very excited for the space that we're making for ourselves and the government. What about you, Chris? So, you know, we were talking about benefits and I just kept thinking, um, one of the biggest one, ones I've seen, the benefit of being kind of the only woman in the room is when I've said something in there, everybody goes, hey, okay, so who who is the blonde woman who was talking about data literacy or whatever it is? They're not too many to pick from. They, they are memorable. So immediately it's just kind of something that sticks in people's minds and you can, you can leverage that as, hey, remember you saw, okay, they do remember it. We come with a than, little bit of shock value, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have, I have seen that and felt that. Oh, it's a little bit. It's a, it's a lot bit. I mean, I remember joking with a friend of mine, I was getting ready to go up and give a, some kind of a, a talk. And I was just like, what, you don't think I look intimidating or impressive? And he's like, no, you look like engineer Barbie. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, so this is you what look I like work which with. Barbie, which Barbie? Engineer Barbie. Because <laughs> oh. at the time I was an engineer. Um, <laughs> so I was like, okay, well, I, I got to work around this. I got to figure this out. So I started thinking about at least, you know, people are going to remember the, they're going to remember my talk. Um, And I think that it it also kind of helps that we've been kind of a small population that especially right now, there is a lot of focus like what Jasmine was talking about with um, discussions and highlighting achievements and mentorship programs that, um, and LinkedIn, I'll I'll throw another one out. No, we're not, you know, we're not shelling for LinkedIn, but it just happens to be this, this, wonderful little enclave where so many people who are working in DOD tech and DOD innovation have been able to connect and see what people are up to and provide kind of those little, um, not just kind of informal mentorship circles or informal collaboration circles. Yeah. Is, you know, we see people are working on various projects and I've got a couple of, uh, of other friends, um, you know, both male and female who've kind of seen those and we'll just kind of come together and go, Hey, they're doing something pretty cool over there. How can we help? How can we float them some resources or float them some support? Um, and I think as we build more and more of those circles, again, I kind of come back to the, the mentorship and pulling people into the network. We just kind of look at who we're pulling in and, Mm -hmm. you know, we, we want to make sure that we're helping everybody and we're not just helping a certain segment. Yeah. And speaking of pulling in, so when I was growing up, I always like I bought into the stereotype of girls are bad at math. I am still bad at math because I told myself that from a very young age. Um, fortunately, there's Google, so I all I have to do is what percentage of this is this? <laughs> I get my answer. 
So for girls, well, they always used to joke that we'd never have the, we never have a computer you know, or, in our, or calculator in our pocket to figure this stuff out. It's like, have you met the iPhone? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. We can calculate this. We know how to use a computer like a boss. So what's some advice, um, Jasmine, for girls who want to get into STEM? It's still a male dominated field. So what, I guess what got you interested when you were, oh, you still look like a baby. I'm sorry. When you were young. <laughs> so I, I, my, my focus has always been in STEM areas. I wanted to initially out of high school, I wanted to be an astronaut. And I guess I've kind of made my way into kind of this. Yes, of, you have. Uh, I have always really liked math. Uh, so that's what really got me into this whole, this realm. It just all made a lot of sense to me. So I was always trying to find something that I could use uh, math in. I wasn't really into like theoretical math. I was very much into applied math. So that's what got me into more operations research. And then that's eventually in the military, when you think of more of the applied space, uh, a lot of conversations end up leading to data. So that's how I've gotten to this data realm. So that's like my natural progression there. But I guess for any woman who's interested or considering STEM, whether or not you're strong at any of those science, technology, engineering, math, I would say if you're interested to do it, because it's a very exciting field and there's so much diversity. And I think we talked, we touched on it a little bit earlier. There's so much diversity in what you can do. You don't have to go into the coding side. Um, I would say my expertise, of course, is in the software, software realm. AI is just in like just any sort of software. So you don't have to be a coder. I wasn't a super strong coder. I can make my way around, but I'm not out there making like the most intense algorithms and models in the world. Uh, but we need people that are technical program managers. We need people who understand technology policy and can write this sort of regulation and documentation to write, create the bounds. We need people in these roles that have diverse backgrounds and unique perspectives. We can't have people that are creating these things that are not representative of the population in the United States and the, the, the thought process and perspectives of people in, in, in the nation. So even if you were to go to, I was thinking about it just just actually during this conversation, tech design. Like that is so important as well, how people are interacting and interfacing with technology. Like these are all aspects of STEM uh, and they can't be overlooked or understated how important they are. Uh, they, they shape the way that the world interacts and views technology. And it's ever growing, rapidly changing. It is so exciting and it's an exciting place to be and it's an exciting time. So as long as you understand the, if you could appreciate technology or science, engineering, math, you just have an appreciation for it. That's enough. Just yeah. My avenue into it was I was an English lit major. I was an eighth grade English teacher. And I found that I was really good at and really loved taking complex ideas and teaching people. I kind of fell into the technology field through software as an instructional designer, creating their training, interpreting you know, what this software is, can do for you as a company, and then teaching people. And it just has progressed from there. And marketing is still very much part of that. Like, explaining really complex ideas in a way that we can grasp them quickly. So I didn't enter through the STEM side of it, um, but 
being able to explain those complex ideas. I, I love that. I love the education side of it. So Chris, how about you? What, what advice do you have? How did you get, you know, into this field? What was your, what was your doorway? Yeah. So I think we talked about that before a little bit. It's just my sci-fi nerdery. Yeah, okay. um, That's right. I, I lost myself in Sherlock Holmes books as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, or the redheaded league was one of my favorite ones. Um, I loved Jurassic Park, the first version that came out and just kind of what Ian Malcolm was doing in complexity science. And I didn't know what it was at the time. It's just like, oh, chaos mathematics. That sounds interesting. All this stuff and all the possibilities intrigued me. So I just started getting into it. And it wasn't really until, you know, I started teaching it. People used to say, well, you're kind of an anomaly. You're good at math. You know, typically women are bad at math. I'm just like, yeah, but no, they're not. We're, we're bad at things that we're told we're bad at because we don't practice them. And I went back um, both when I was a cadet and then when I was back at West Point as an instructor and I tutored our kind of base level mathematics cadets. And a lot of it was just figuring out that they didn't have the foundation. Math builds on itself. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can't walk in trying to speak the language if you don't understand the basic vocabulary, or how the letters are formed. So sometimes we've got to go back and we break it down to fundamentals. So like as Jasmine says, if you're interested in it, if you have a passion for it, and if you're willing to put in the work and the practice of building up good fundamentals and then layering in all the fun stuff on top of that basic vocabulary, that's when you, you know, we got to get to the point coming out of coming out of high school where it's like, okay, we can put together simple sentence structure. As we start getting into graduate levels of mathematics, as we start getting into graduate levels of programming, or even this, what we're seeing right now that's really exciting to me, it's self-driven study. You know, people just getting in there and trying things yes. and building things. Those are your self-taught poets yeah. and your writers. I mean, yes. they're coming out with great po- prose and poetry in a symbolic sense. You know, when I'm talking about symbology, yeah. I'm, ta- I'm talking yeah. about code language in mathematical language, but it really is kind of the equivalent of what some of these folks are putting together. So I noticed both of you got to where you are because it was your dream as a kid. Jasmine, you wanted to be an astronaut. Chris, you wanted to be Sherlock Holmes. You guys both are where you dreamed you were going to be really as kids. I love that. Yeah, it's really just been, it's been a cool journey. And I never would have pictured this kind of being where, you know, the journey would take me, but it's, it's been a fun ride. I got to say. I know now I'm in a space where there's, uh, there's a lot of Star Trek references around me all the time. (laughs) And I'm just like, I was really into Star Trek when I was younger and, or I'm still into Star Trek now, the latest series. It's really great. Uh, uh, again, another plug that's not intended, (laughs) but yeah, it's these, when you start to, and I don't think you have to, I think saying that may put a, uh, a, a put uh, unintended burden on some people to think, oh my gosh, what is my passion? What am I interested in? Mm-hmm. Um, I need to go and pursue that one thing. But I think as you could have a wide variety of interests and it's, you know, in retrospect, you, you don't have to necessarily like go specifically and be like, I'm just going to pursue this because I know I'm passionate about it. I didn't know what I was passionate about when I was going through my career, I was like, I'll just, what interests me at this point in time, I'm going to choose one and just go with it. If I don't like it, I'll just, you know, switch and go to something else. And then you just start to narrow and hone in on what you really like. And you, you end up in my case, it was, I think in everyone's case, you, you find that connection back 
to something you liked as a kid or something you enjoyed as a kid. So it may not have, it may have been more of a uh, coincidence in a sense, or just like kind of like an afterthought, like, oh yeah, this is actually really close to something I was really interested in when I was a kid. It just, it's funny how it shows up like that. Yeah. I think to your point, Jasmine, you can find those connections, but it's like looking at um, baby pictures of somebody, you know, as a grown up. it's like, you can see the features, you can see the stuff that emerged. Um, you can't necessarily predict what the baby's going to look like when they're growing up though. So it's, it's kind of funny looking at those different connections as you, as you do kind of explore the different things you're passionate about. Thanks Chris and Jasmine for taking time to share your insights with us today. And thank you listeners. Uh, please visit the show notes for links to all the topics we discussed today. We also want to thank our sponsors at Dynatrace. You can visit dynatrace.com to learn more about how you can digitally transform faster, smarter, and easier. So next week, we'll, we'll be back with part two of this panel, where we dive more into government technology in general. I ask Chris and Jasmine to do a little fortune telling on where technology is headed and what advancements they have seen in their careers. And we're also going to get real with some salary talk. So be sure to tune in next week on Tech Transforms. Thanks for joining Tech Transforms. Please post a review, share this episode, and follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.